Our scripture this morning is in Matthew's Gospel. We're in the sixth chapter. We will begin in verse 1, and we will read through verse 18 in your pew Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, um, I encourage you to open the pew Bible to page 964 so you can follow along. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. You're not stealing from us. We actually want you to have it and to take it home with you. Again, that's Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 18. And there it's written. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father who knows your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer this morning. O oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in the entirety of Scripture, so it, with, within all of the, of the Bible, of the, of the Scripture that we hold as God's Word, that means from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, where we are today contains the only direct instruction on prayer. 
We, we glean knowledge on prayer from all other places within Scripture, but it is this section right here, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that we get direct instruction on prayer, and it's the only place it is found in God's Word. And, and within it, it contains both how to and not to pray, right? He, he gives us both of those sections. And, and what we see with Jesus in this teaching is different than what is taught by any of the, the world's great religions that exist or by um, popular New Age mystics or, or moon worshipers watching the moon rise over the beach while doing yoga. In verse 5, Jesus begins, and he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, we re remember that this sermon Jesus is giving isn't to the masses. It, it is to his disciples and to believers. Those are the only ones that have followed him up this mountain. And so words matter. Jesus isn't flippant with his word choice. Jesus is intentional with everything he says. And he says, when you pray. It's not if you pray. It's not when things go bad in your life and all else fails and then you reach out to God. It's not if you remember or if you feel like it. It's when you pray. Because what Jesus demonstrates here in this simple phrase is that he knows those who are truly his followers pray. They have a prayer life. They are in communication with the Father who is in heaven. They don't avoid prayer, but they fully engage in it as part of their faith. And it's one of our greatest struggles within our faith walk. It's, it's one of the greatest questions as pastors we get. Um, how is it that we're supposed to pray? Well, we know there's the Lord's Prayer, but aren't there other prayers we can pray? Am I saying the right words as if there was a formula? Or, or what is the best time of day to pray? Like, when is God most attentive to prayers? Because I need mine really answered. And so I've tried calling him at like 6 o'clock at night. It might be during his mealtime. So is there a better time to reach out to God? Um, did I, do I, am I to say my prayers out loud? Or can I just keep them within my head? And if I keep them within my head, are, are we sure like God knows what's going on there? And then, you know, funny things happen. When I start saying them in my head or it's really quiet, I'm in the middle of the prayer, and I get distracted by something else, does God still hear my prayer? And does he hear my distractions too? We have a lot of questions surrounding prayer and what it actually looks like within our own lives as part of our Christian walk. And, and Jesus doesn't answer all of these questions within here, but Jesus gives us direct instruction on how to pray. And, and when we look closely at this, we, we will see what Jesus is calling us to in this walk with him. And so 
let's look at the knots first, because he gives us how not to pray first. So let's look. He, he gives us some knots. He says, not like the hypocrites, do not heap up empty phrases, and not like them. Right? He, he gives us three instructions on how not to pray. He says, not like the hypocrites. And, and he gives a, a bit of expounding upon what that means, right? Throughout all of this um, teaching here in chapter 6, right, he used the hypocrites as an example of what not to be like, right? Because the hypocrites are the ones who are doing it as a performance, right? They want others to see how holy and how righteous and how much they love Jesus. And so they're going to pray everywhere. They're going to pray out loud in the synagogue so that they are seen. They're going to pray out on the streets so that people will walk by and be like, oh, look at them. They are really good people because they pray in public. And what Jesus's message here is, is if the reason you're praying, like you're, you're play acting, if the reason you're doing it to show off to others, then you are doing it all wrong, right? There was that commercial a few years ago, and, and um, a, an older woman had invited a friend over to her house, and she had started putting pictures up on her wall as, as if it was uh, social media, and her friend goes, that's not how it works, that's not how it works at all. And, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. He says that isn't how it works. Performing in public as, an, as a performance for others to see is not the purpose of prayer. You have missed greatly in doing so. And then he says, do not heap up empty words like the Gentiles. And he explains it a bit. He, he says they, they heap up all of these words, these empty phrases, because they have this belief that the more words they say, the more I talk to God, the more likely he is to listen. And that's simply not the case. Martin Luther, the great church reformer um, around 500 years ago, he said there are three things prayer is to be. Brief, frequent, and intense. Long, wordy prayers are not needed. And, and Jesus explains, he says, because the Father knows. Your Father knows all the details. You don't have to go through detail minute by minute of your prayers. Because he knows. There's no need for others to see you. There's no need for all of these extra words. Because the Father knows your heart. So he says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Because that's not how it works. Your father who is in heaven sees you. So you don't have to perform for others to see you. And your father who is in heaven knows all about you. So you don't have to go on and on. He knows you. He sees you. That's why we don't have to be like them. And then Jesus turns his attention on how to pray. And, and we're going to get into the Lord's Prayer here. And, and really, I feel like I'm rushing through it to cram it into a single sermon. In the Lord's Prayer, could really be broken down into six separate weeks in and of itself. 
Um, because within the Lord's Prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, pray then like this. It, there's two sections within it. There's the first section, which contains three petitions to God, about God. And then there's the second section, which contains three petitions addressing human needs. Right? So it begins by addressing God and then addresses human needs. So how are we to pray? Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That first petition there is, is holy be your name, right? We, we are calling out that, G, that, that God's name, our Father who is in heaven, he is holy and, and he is to be the holiest of all. He is the great creator of the universe. He is our God and he is God above all and any other God that has ever existed. He alone is the true God. Holy is his name. But remember how I said Jesus' words matter, that he doesn't choose them lightly. It's interesting how he begins this prayer. He begins it with our Father. Our Father. When he says pray then like this, he doesn't give us individualized words to use to address ourselves, but rather this is an us prayer. This is our Father. This is our prayer that we pray. There, there is a togetherness within this prayer that Jesus teaches us to begin with our Father in heaven. Not my Father. Not your Father. Not dear Daddy. But he reminds us that we are not praying alone and only for ourselves. But we are praying together and for the saints who have come before us, our brothers and sisters who are in Christ with us now, and our brothers and sisters who are yet to come. But there's something else. In that our Father, Jesus is praying with us. For the author of Hebrews in the seventh chapter, he says this. He says, since he, that is Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them and them being those who draw near to God. Right? The scripture tells us that Jesus lives to make intercession, to pray on our behalf to God. And so when we pray our Father, we are not alone but we are joined together with others and with Jesus himself. And he says, your kingdom come. The second petition, focusing on God, your kingdom come. See, we are taught by Jesus to plead, to plead for God's kingdom to come. And this is something we have to be really clear with because it is easy for us to get confused when we pray for God's kingdom exactly what Jesus was meaning and what we mean by that, right? Jesus is not telling us to pray for our favorite politician or political party. 
not for the convenience of countries to continue to exist or government or rulers to continue or to change into a different form, but no, we are to pray that God's kingdom comes. For all of Scripture ends with amen, come, Lord Jesus. Yet we get this real confused here in America, especially in 2022. Seems like every 12 months it's another election cycle. 24-hour cable news channels and now streaming news channels keep us on edge of current events as much as we can be. And so it's easy to think and project that the opposite party's political candidate is the Antichrist, and that it is ours who is the divine chosen one. Folks, there has never been a political candidate for any office in the United States history that has even ever come close to being like Jesus. So I urge you, stop praying for rulers that are less than Jesus to be your ruler. Your kingdom come. Then he goes further, teaching us to ask in prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sit with that for a moment. Think about what Jesus is calling us to really ask for. For God's will to be done. And for it to be done here on earth. And we're like, yeah, of course, this, we get it, Pastor. This really makes sense. We want God's will to be done. We, we ask for it in our own life, that God's will would be done in our, in our lives. And, and I'm here to tell you that the the catch is as it is in heaven. For here's the thing about heaven. When God's will is done in heaven, there's no arguing with it. There's no complaining about it. There's no one in heaven thinking they can do it better than God has willed it. So on earth, as it is in heaven, is a mighty ask indeed. And as Jesus teaches us to pray, he makes this smooth transition from the lofty heights of, of God and his attributes and, and the heavenlies and transitions us down to earth. Give us this day our daily bread. It seems quite simple to ask for daily bread. But it's more than just simply bread. It's, it's a prayer for, for our deepest earthly needs of survival. It, it's, it's not a prayer for daily cake. That's a luxury. It's a prayer for daily bread, that the one who provides our deepest needs is God, and it's him we rely on for those daily needs, not for our greeds in this life. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 puts it this way. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus could have stopped there. We've talked about how great God is, and now we've asked for our basic needs. But if we were to stop there, we would miss a need greater than our earthly needs to be met, which is the salvation of our souls. For if we are not pardoned, then getting daily bread simply fattens us for the slaughter. So he teaches us. Matthew uses the words, forgive us our debts. And Matthew uses the transactional word debts instead of sins like Luke does or trespasses as we pray in our prayer here in church because Matthew is specific with his words. He knows where he's going in writing about the cross. For he knows that we need forgiveness for our sins, and it's our sins that has created a debt that we now owe God that we cannot pay, and forgiveness is our only way. And so that it was Jesus who knew no sin, who became sin on the cross, and Matthew would write that he would ransom our lives, that our debt through Jesus would be paid. Only he can forgive the debts we owe. But he continues with that statement, right? It gets hard again. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus wants to expound upon this a bit, and so after he teaches this prayer, he has this to say, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. And it's right here that Jesus makes it impossible for there to be such a thing as an unforgiving Christian. And for a lot of people who are filled in churches today are going to find this hard to hear. Because we're good at holding grudges. We're good at wanting to hold on and seek vengeance. We're good at holding on and not forgiving. But I'm going to tell you, if you're holding on to unforgiveness in your heart, you are living in very dangerous territory. Because when you pray this prayer, and we have prayed it this morning, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. And guess what? If you haven't forgiven others yet, what you just prayed. We would have prayed to be forgiven the same way 
we have yet to forgive anybody else. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgives, forgave you. John the Apostle writes that we are able to love because God first loved us. And we have the power and ability to forgive others because we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven of the most heinous sins we could ever commit against the only just and holy one in all the universe. So why are we holding on to unforgiveness? Thomas Watson, the Puritan preacher, gave this warning, that a man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as also for not believing. We need forgiveness. We are also called to be forgiving of others. Jesus recognized that, but he also taught us and teaches us in this prayer that not only do we need forgiveness for sins we've committed, but we need help facing our own flesh and the world today for the sins yet to come. And so he taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And folks, this is a prayer for a weak person with a strong God. It's a prayer that says, hold on to us. Do not abandon us in the midst of our temptation because we recognize in this prayer to our God that we cannot overcome the evils of this world or the sins of our flesh on our own, but only with God's help. And this is how the Lord's Prayer ends. It ends so abruptly. We have this doxology that we've added to the end of it through history, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's not here in scripture. It was added. It's it's nice to be there, but, but Jesus ends. There, deliver us from the evil one, quite abruptly. But again, Jesus' words matter. He begins us with our Father, and it concludes with the evil one. Because Jesus knows that in this fallen world we live, we are constantly navigating a world that exists between our Father and the evil one. So this prayer teaches us exactly how to cry out for help in this place. And he reminds us we are not called to be spiritual superheroes. Nothing in this prayer calls us to become spiritual superheroes or to become saviors for others, but it calls on us to be prayer warriors warring for souls. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. This morning we are going to stand and sing. There's something about that name. Yeah, there's something about that name. It's more than just the name, right? It's about Jesus. And so as we sing, there's something about that name. I invite you that as Jesus has taught us how to pray, to, to during this time of invitation and reflection of this song, not only do we sing praises about the name of Jesus, but reflect on your prayer life and find ways to richen it and make it more intense 
with God. Let us sing.